Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting Chats with me, I'm SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual conversation with other hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, knowledge, enthusiasm, and joy of podcasting. Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and make their existing projects better. That's why we came up with the name. It's even on my shirt, Better Podcasting. It is our hope that bringing on new voices from hobby and passion podcasting spaces with different viewpoints will help other podcasters just as much as listening to Stephen and myself. That is why I created this show. Thank you to Ashley Hamer from the Taboo Science Podcast and Descript for joining me in the previous chat. You can check Ashley out at her show at taboosciencesho To demonstrate what a hobby or passion podcast is, just in case you don't know, for the next few moments, I'm going to talk about my passion space. So this is just an example. Since I recorded last time, during a joint meeting of the U.S. National Academy's Aeronautics and Space Engineering Board and its Space Studies Board on Wednesday, June 7th, NASA Associate Administrator for Exploration Systems Development, Jim Free, said regarding Artemis 3's Starship Lunar Lander that December 25th, quote, is our current manifest date, but with the difficulties that SpaceX has had, I think that's really, really concerning. So you can think about that slipping probably into 26. If you figure they need a number of launches to do their depot for our crewed flight, they need a number of launches to do the demo, they need a number of launches just to get flying. They have a significant number of launches to go. And that, of course, gives me concern about the December of 2025 date, unquote. Meanwhile, SpaceX is racing to make repairs and improvements to their Boca Chica Starship orbital launch platform and are making preparations for a Starship 25 static engine test fire as early as tomorrow, June 14th, 2023. In an earlier tweet today, Elon Musk said the next Starship test would be in, quote, six to eight weeks, unquote. However, Elon time has been known to be shortened by as much as a quarter of the time in reality. Meanwhile, Boeing continues to have major issues with its Starliner astronaut capsule currently on contract with NASA for a total of seven crewed flights to the International Space Station. Boeing is standing down from the first ever crewed launch of its Starliner astronaut capsule for NASA, possibly indefinitely. It's due to safety issues with the spacecraft's parachutes and wiring that were discovered last week. The Starliner's astronaut launch, already years behind schedule, was most recently targeted to launch two NASA astronauts to the International Space Station on July 21st. Now, it likely won't launch at all this summer and may not get off the ground in 2023. Two major safety issues are driving the latest delay, both of them discovered last week during in-depth reviews of Starliner to certify spacecraft for crewed flight. First, Boeing engineers discovered that the soft links used on the suspension lines of Starliner's three parachutes, the three main parachutes, have a failure load limit that is actually lower than previously thought. Turns out that those links, which secure the parachute lines with their anchor tethers on the capsule, cannot handle the load of Starliner if one chute fails. Being able to land safely with two of the three chutes is a safety requirement for NASA, especially with astronauts on board. The second safety issue Boeing found pertains to the protective tape covering the wiring harnesses throughout the Starliner capsule. That tape is flammable, and there are hundreds of linear feet inside. Starliner, and in case you don't know, fire inside a space capsule is very, very bad. So, this is an indefinite hold and possibly even a complete hold. I don't know if Starliner is ever going to launch. It probably will. And I wish the Boeing team well, but this is a major, major setback. All right. So, hobby passion podcasters all podcast from the viewpoint that I just did because we emphasize the fun the dedication and passion to podcasting. So if you podcast like that, you're going to be just fine with your audience. Now for the next hour, I'm chatting with a Russian literature lover and hobby podcaster. His name is Matt Jarosimovich, and he co-hosts the Tipsy Tolstoy podcast with his friend Cameron. 
Matt is a PhD student in the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures at Northwestern University. His research focuses on Russia, avant-garde literature, and the relationship between politics and aesthetics. In 2018, Matt studied in St. Petersburg and met his co-host Cameron. They started the show in December 2020 and currently have produced 79 numbered episodes with at least an additional 10 bonus episodes. Welcome to the chat, Matt. Hey, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here, Matt. I really appreciate you joining here. And uh, I've never read any Tolstoy, but I gather you probably read it multiple times. Yes, I have read so much Tolstoy, it sometimes makes my skin crawl just out. <laughs> well, in a good way, I suppose. I suppose, yeah. But, you know, that's all right. Our podcast is filled with people who have never read any Russian literature at all. And we are their very first introduction, which is always a treat. And that's awesome, actually, because people yeah. are probably wondering what's all about this stuff. And you can tell them. Yeah, we get a lot of these like lifelong kind of readers that are always kind of interested in learning about new things. And we kind of try to grab them and pique their interest a little bit, best we can. What inspired you to start podcasting to begin with? I think uh, our podcast is one of these sort of pandemic podcasts. This kind of boom that emerges, we were all sitting home doing nothing. And a lot of it was born out of my desire just to do something with my friend, Cameron, my co-host, who lives in California. I live outside of Chicago. And I said, hey, what should we do with our free time? Let's do a lot of work. Let's do a bunch of work and uh, you know, regularly produce this podcast. And so it has been a great three years of working, changing, learning everything that we know now about podcasting. And it's been a great way to stay in touch, but also it's really fun to take something that I do professionally and hone in on these questions that I study and really push myself to think like, why is it interesting? Why does it matter? And try to convey that to other people. Have you ever brought up podcasting in an academic conference? Not in an academic conference, I have not, but I do have people in my department that are you know, aware of the podcast. It's kind of, kind of a novelty because normally us academics, we write for, I don't know, 20 or 25 people maximum to read our work. Whereas now I have an audience, an established audience that listens regularly, which is bigger than 20 or 25. Great. We're grateful for that. Yeah. Okay. So you got 21 or 26 listeners out there. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that goes. Yeah. It, as far as listeners, you know, the average podcast gets about 150 listeners, give or take, whatever. And in your case, that's like at least six classrooms, if not more. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's a full-time job right there. Just if, if you get the average amount of listeners. We do. We do normally, if you're curious, I'll say on our lower end episodes in first maybe two weeks or so, we'll do around 300, which is pretty good. Yeah. Bigger series, we're pushing up above 1,000 you know, your war and peace, Anna Karenina, things that people have heard of and are really searching for. And that's what we kind of drag in a lot of our new listeners off of. But for me, as somebody who is kind of working in this university space, I do kind of think about it like that because I think, wow, I could fill like a giant classroom with the amount of people that I have listening to the podcast. And it feels really rewarding when I think about it like that. Yeah, no, I, when I was presenting academic papers and projects, you know, I would present to these conferences and there'd be mm -hmm. hundreds of people in the audience at AIAA conferences or something, you and I are in two different academic realms because I'm yes. more on the technical side. You're more of the soft sciences side, but it's the same basic thing that you're presenting to your peers at these conferences. And I get to do it every week on my shows. So right. it's amazing. The amount of people that you're able to touch all over the world. It doesn't have to be in a classroom or in an auditorium. It's anywhere they are in the entire world. It's really wonderful. We've had people email us just saying like, I love your show so much. I started reading more and now I'm writing my undergraduate thesis based on something that I read because of your podcast or your podcast really helped me. We had one person say they really helped them kind of formulate their idea for their master's thesis, which is amazing. And we love when people write us these things because I think at the core of it, that's the kind of thing that keeps us going. It's nice to make some money and cover your costs and do whatever you have to do. But at the core of it, it is really building that sort of community of listeners that kind of propel you to continue on with it. 
In addition to everything we just talked about, what else excites you about podcasting? So I kind of am someone who really likes to fixate on, you know, kind of individual things one at a time. And podcasting has allowed me to channel this sort of fixation into a productive cycle where I can say, okay, this week, I am going to redesign our website, and I'll get really into kind of the technicals of our website. Or, you know, this, this week, this month, I'm going to take a look at our Patreon and update our tiers and do this kind of thing. And so for me, it's kind of this constant sort of learning that I get to do with the podcast, because obviously, as we are all hobby podcasters, this is not usually the full-time thing that we're doing. So I have only so many hours per week or per month that I'm able to give. And I get to continue spending it learning something that I'm not really doing on my day-to-day basis, but that I do enjoy doing. So I would say outside of this building this sort of community of listeners, my favorite part so far has been just learning. You can probably tell that's a bit of a trend with me, but I do enjoy finding these, you know, different avenues that we're expected to be sort of proficient in as podcasters and just really trying to master something for a week until it, you know, evolves past uh, the time that I have to give it. I think that's attributable to a large portion of hobby podcasters. There's some people that just do it for the fun of it, but there's a lot of people that do it to learn all the aspects of podcasting, like you said, and as we were discussing before we started hitting the record button here, is that podcasting has evolved significantly just in the last few years. I would say last two, three years, and not necessarily because of the pandemic, but that probably didn't hurt the evolution of some of the digital tools that we use and services that we use. But I would say, and we've been talking about it even pre-pandemic, there was an evolution in podcasting before that in like the 2017 to 2019 timeframe too. Mm-hmm. So there have been so many innovations in podcasting that it both makes it easier and takes some of the hobby aspects out of it. Because back in the day, I used to have this just cords everywhere and the setup that was made to do what I wanted it to do to multi-track record, but it was using stuff that wasn't meant to do that. And now I have a simple Roadcaster Pro 2 on my desk that does everything like $2,000 worth of gear used to do. And granted, it's not that cheap. It's still around $650, $700, but it is cheaper than $2,000 and it's a lot smaller and I don't have to worry about all the cords. I don't have mm-hmm. to worry about tracking down a cord that's gone bad. I don't have to worry about like 10 machines on my desk, not 10 machines, but like three or four machines to connect to different people to be able to multi-track through different Skype sessions. That's all handled through StreamYard for us right now. There are many other ways to do this, but I use StreamYard and that's a revolution in itself is that you can use many services to do multi-track recording and podcast with somebody that's geographically separated from you at a decent quality. So yeah, all great stuff. I love it. But it's constantly learning a new thing. Like I had to learn how to use StreamYard Mm -hmm. for kids and people in college these days. It might not be that difficult, but for 50 year olds, it's you got to learn how to do it. Well, the change too from just pure audio to the addition of video content and also in tandem with that stream content as well is definitely a, a big new part of podcasting for sure. I'm a moderator on the R podcasting subreddit, and we won't go into what's currently going on Reddit right now. But over there, I would say in the last couple of months, especially, but it's been evolving over the last year or so as people come to ask questions about how to set up their podcast in a video format. And what they're really referring to is a stream like Mm -hmm. on Twitch or YouTube or something like that. But they're calling it a podcast because that's what the popular lexicon is. Mm -hmm. There's a technical definition to podcasting what they're doing is not the technical definition but it doesn't matter because they in their mind are podcasting and it's video based gotta say unfortunately it is more expensive to do a video podcast than a regular podcast regular audio podcast but that seems to be the way everybody wants to go and i'm not going to say no i will say that there are a lot of benefits to being off camera in an audio only show editing's a lot easier. You don't have to worry about the multi-camera aspect or 
thousands of dollars in camera gear if you're not using your cell phones. And it's just a lot of extra time as well. Audio podcasts are a dream in comparison. Yeah, we did think about doing video. We trialed probably maybe eight to 10 episodes of video. And I don't mean just uploading our flac or mp3 with a waveform or something over it like you know like you do here with with real video and we ended up moving away from it it was just too much time and we weren't able to kind of get the process down right for the way that we wanted it to come out but more power to people that are able to pull it off and repurpose the content and get it across all of social media but it ended up being a little bit too much for us yeah so you mentioned constantly learning about podcasting at the start. How did you learn how to podcast? I just looked things up online. I read everything I could possibly find about podcasting. I went through right r slash podcasting on the subreddit, just you know, narrowing down equipment and the technology that I thought I would need. But fortunately, my co-host has a background in radio, so that was super easy. And the setup that you see now. Uh, I just say, hey, what do you use for this? And he tells me and I say, oh, I'm going to go do my own research and see what I can find. And usually it's come down. He's picked something very good. So I've kind of stopped doing my own research on audio equipment and I'll just take a suggestion from my co-host. But not everybody has this luxury I get. But yeah, so at the start, it was really just trying to get anything that was freely available and good information and not trying to sell you a bunch of affiliate link crap that you don't need. But trying to figure out, you know, what is essential? What is going to let me do what I want to do with my show? And eventually now it's kind of, I would say, more peer-to-peer learning. Uh, just talking with other podcasters that are close to our size or bigger or have been, along, been around longer than us. And that now has been more helpful for where we're at, for sure. Do you, since you've been learning and you've been around podcasting space for a few years, do you know the origin of why the Blue Yeti is such was such a huge microphone for the new podcasters with podcasting space? I don't know if, if there's a specific thing you're referring to. I just imagine being able to plug it in is easier. That was my very first microphone I had since like middle school, and I used it when we started for about five episodes before I decided to upgrade, but. Yeah, we'll talk about your upgraded equipment in a second, but yes, ease of use was definitely one of them where you could plug it in via USB and you could be ready to go without any other gear on board. That was definitely one of the things, but there were other USB microphones like the Audio-Technica 2100, which may have been better for a lot of people because it's a dynamic microphone versus the condenser microphone. And don't get me wrong, condenser microphones are really good, but they are really, really good in that they pick up most of the things from your ambient space whether that's reverb or the sirens in the background, dogs barking in the background, scratching at the door, whatever kids bouncing in the floor above or below you, those all tend to get picked up a little bit more from the condenser microphone. So instead of going to the audio technica 2100 quicker, a lot of people were using the affiliate links from the Blue Yeti, and then that just snowballed. <laughs> it's kind of a fun term to use with Blue because there's the Blue Snowball microphone <laughs> as well, but it snowballed into this is the best microphone to start podcasting. And while it was easy, as you said, so was an Audio Technica ETR 2100, which might have been better for a lot of people. So the mm-hmm. affiliate links really in the early stages of podcasting really drove what gear to use. And to this day, there is gear that is not recommended by consultants in the industry because they can't get affiliate links to it, whether it's service or a gear or something like that. So the affiliate links with consulting within podcasting have really driven what the mainstream people use in podcasting. So as a history lesson, there you go. You might be interested in history. I don't know. That's fun. I actually, I didn't know that, but that seems about right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you're using the same microphone that I am, which is the ElectroVoice RE320, is that correct, or is it the That's RE20? Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. RE320, and you've got it on the the mount that ElectroVoice has, that uh, 309A mount, and you have a Rode, is it a PSA1 arm? I believe it is, yes. Okay, and that microphone goes into a audio interface? Yes, this is going into my audience. interface that i've got going and that's also wired somehow i've forgotten how 
into an Atom amp that I have to oh. drive my headphones, which I'm not really sure if it's necessary, but I like it. And, um, you know, I can feel like a fun tech guy with all my gadgets on my desk. As far as podcasters go, I'm definitely not the most savvy with the tech aspect of all of the different things. I like to just kind of go on YouTube and listen to people talk, do like talking tests between different microphones and try to find people who have like my kind of voice and see how they sound on different microphones. That was the best kind of tip that, that I've found so far. And I can't remember the other like main podcasting microphone, but I, I much prefer the sound of the Electra voice to that one when I was choosing. So do you have the ID4 or the ID14 audience? I think it's the ID14, I believe. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty decent set of gear. I was introduced to it via podcastage on YouTube, talking about YouTubes. And Andrew has done reviews of several different audio interfaces. I don't know if he's going to continue to do that or not, because he's said that other people do it much better than he does. But he did a round of really good interfaces. And it was one of the reasons that I chose the um, Motu M2 behind me to mm -hmm. use as a dedicated audio interface. And it was used during the pandemic by my daughter for you know remote teaching as she was doing. So it's a good piece of gear. I enjoyed using it. My yeah. son uses it as well. Okay. Yeah. I, so I was originally, uh, there's no reason for me to have this audience. I was using the Scarlet Focusrite solo perfectly fine mm. until I, I was tinkering with chords and all of a sudden I started getting this little bit of uh, electric static in my recordings mm. and I was like oh maybe this is gone because I had it for about a decade and so, so I replaced it and the static was still there so mm. I didn't solve my issue but I do have a nice new piece of equipment which is uh, about how half of problem solving goes I think in the podcast world. I would say so. I mean, you could do troubleshooting to isolate where the problem really is. But even with good gear, I would say if you're a podcaster, even a hobby podcaster, I would plan to refresh your gear every three to five years. And that does include your computer, which can get pricey. Yeah. Yeah, we've done. This is my third microphone upgrade. I believe I was using the Audio-Technica 2020, I want to say, Okay. Uh, after the Blue Yeti. And this was all probably within the first 20 episodes. Uh, so we were kind of on a, on a sort of quick ramp up for our gear, but I was just able to find a good, a good deal on the microphone, really, and pick it up used in good condition. And it's been smooth sailing from there. Yeah. I like, I think at this point, I don't know, maybe I would need to sound treat my room versus versus upgrading i don't even know where i would go from here i'm very happy with the, the quality that we get on our show yeah it sounds and you look uh, great and you got the three-point lighting going on you you, you sure. got the you got it going on as far as i'm concerned you got it it's, our, it's our, <laughs> our vestige from video podcasting i can at least have decent lighting when i when i go on other people's video podcasts so yeah, that's good <laughs> here you go if you could have told yourself one thing to make it easier for yourself to start podcasting, like if you could take what you know now and go back to, say, the summer of 2020, what would you have told yourself to help you along? Hmm. That is a really good question. I, I kind of struggle with this one because I'm kind of a stubborn person. So even if I had some really good piece of advice, I don't know if I would have taken it at the time. <laughs> I'm kind of one of these people that needs to learn from experience uh, in trials and tribulations. But I think the probably the the biggest thing that I've learned from experience, and this was just recently, is really not to focus that much on your numbers, which sounds kind of dumb because it's a really clear metric that you can use to, you know, track how you're doing, track your audience size, all this stuff. But this is kind of what got us into our video podcasting foray, which ended up in kind of a stressed out disaster for us. I was trying to make video so that we can put it out on all of our platforms. Everyone's on TikTok. We got to get on TikTok. We've got to get on these platforms that we don't really use and don't really understand. And so that ended up being just a lot of work. And we didn't quite have, like I said, we didn't quite have the editing processes in place. So we were running like two simultaneous edits. We were each editing something and then trying to clip and repurpose. It was so much work and it yielded basically zero benefit because during that time i think that our focus on the show drifted into some sort of other 
technical aspects on video and on marketing or advertising, which are all super important parts of your podcast. But if the show itself isn't there, you're not going to have anything to advertise. And that's what I started to find was I don't really like the way the show sounds compared to how it sounded maybe 10 episodes ago before we were doing video. And I like the show a lot more since we've stopped focusing on video. So I think that I would say really, you know, you, you don't need to worry about chasing numbers because for a lot of us, this is just, you know, it's fun. It's great to make some money on the side, but it really is just fun. Okay. So you mentioned a few things there. Let's talk about TikTok for a second, because sure. I'm always interested to talk to TikTok. TikTok has been purported by a lot of, if you're around our podcasting, still a lot of people that come in there, a lot of social media marketers or promoters come in there. So you got to get on TikTok. And I'm like, well, really, do you need to? Because the video content that you post is going to take longer to post. Plus, TikTok doesn't necessarily allow you to, the algorithm wants to keep you on TikTok. It doesn't want to yes. spin you off into your own website mm-hmm. for your podcast, wherever your podcast can be found. So what is your experience with TikTok? Uh, completely mixed. I think that we did have some people find us through TikTok. We definitely had some positive interactions just making kind of dumb little meme videos we definitely had some success with their algorithm but i think that it wasn't a platform that i personally enjoyed spending time on and so obviously the content that i created for it was not the it just wasn't the things that i wanted to be doing and so as a result of that it kind of i would say ended unsuccessfully i think the thing that you point to there is absolutely correct in that People who say you need to be on this social media or that social media, they're working with the conception of what social media is that is outdated by this point. Social media is designed to suck as much time from you as possible. It's not designed to send you somewhere else. Even if you think about how right, affiliate marketing and product placement on social media works now, you can do everything in the app without ever leaving the app. They don't want you to leave the app. Uh, and so I think it is a little bit foolish to just assume I'm going to post some stuff on TikTok and it's going to go absolutely crazy. And I'm going to have thousands and thousands of new followers. Maybe you will. Maybe people have had some success with that. But for us, we found most people will either save our videos, like our videos. Maybe we'll get a comment if we're lucky. But they're largely moving on. They're you know swiping to what's next. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I am going to swipe. Even if they do uh, make an effort to remember our name, maybe it maybe it disappears just in the uh, in the in the swiping. And so, I think that that is. I would say focus on the show before you focus on TikTok. Maybe if you have a lot of extra time, then sure. But I also found myself getting sucked into TikTok because, like I said, they're really like psychologically designed to do that. So any of these short form video websites are just designed to keep you scrolling. And I found myself when I was on there just researching like what is trending what are people you know interacting with i would find myself spending so much time doing that instead of just doing research for my show yeah i would say if you are doing a podcast you have to make a choice on whether you want to concentrate on your podcast or whether you do really want to concentrate on a tiktok channel or a youtube channel or a instagram account, I think you have to make your choice on where you want to focus your content on. If you have a big mm-hmm. enough team, say you have four hosts and two of them can deal with the social media while the other two deal with the actual production of the podcast, I think you're actually working with an issue that is symbiotic, basically. Mm-hmm. But if your sole goal is to have your podcast, and I don't have a problem if your sole goal is not your podcast. If you really want a successful TikTok channel, go for it. It's just really difficult as a hobbyist, as you pointed out, to do a TikTok channel in everybody that I've talked to versus a TikTok channel that feeds your into your podcast, that channels people into your podcast. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly, if you do it successfully enough, you're going to get some low percentage of people that filter over, but you're not going to... I've seen... People that have tens or hundreds of thousands of followers, I think that's what it's called on TikTok. I personally don't have a TikTok account, but I've heard stories of people that do that and they say, yeah, well, we get about a dozen followers from our podcast from it. I'm like, okay, so it sounds to me like you have two entities. You have a podcast and you have a successful TikTok channel, but you don't have both of them combined. It's not like one IP that's in concert with each other. So 
I'm glad that your experiences align to where I have been hearing. And uh, I, I keep searching for that. Where am I wrong? <laughs> and and uh, sadly, you didn't prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think that, like you said, it, social media doesn't really function as a funnel into your podcast. The way that we've been kind of uh, told by others that it really should be working is more of a way for you to connect with your pre-existing audience. You might see some growth over there, but generally for us, I think the way that we are most likely spreading is word of mouth, which is the slowest, the most frustrating way to spread, but it's also the most reliable because I will definitely check something out that my friends recommend to me but I'm pretty unlikely to stop on just a random sponsored podcast post on social media. You find yourself in an interesting knit with literature and in Russian literature specifically, where have you found your best promotional opportunities? Yeah. So the best promotional opportunities for us are just people kind of in the broader books community. We are the only podcast that I'm aware of that does Russian literature really like full time. Wow. Other podcasts cover some of the major books, but we cover things that are like real, you know, deep cuts. We're not just doing Tolstoy Golden Age, you know, we're going into Soviet socialist realism and spending like long amounts of time on these books that people have kind of not really paid attention to, but we think they're, you know, artistically deserving. And, you know, at the moment, we're trying to expand right outside of Russia to the general Slavic region just to kind of, you know, show, right, Russia is not the only one that's producing interesting things in this region. And so that brings us further into our niche. There's nobody that's right, that I'm aware of that's doing, you know, Central Asian literature, for instance. It's not really something that I've seen. But so we have to start going back up the other way. We can't really branch out because there is no out for us. There's only kind of up. So yeah, I've found people that have done just kind of general books, classics, for instance. The illustrator who did our current artwork, she runs a bookstagram on Instagram that's very popular. And she has a YouTube channel that's kind of about reading and books. And when she did our cover art, we kind of had a good merging of followings that was helpful. There are some kind of just meme pages that we found, and that those have been helpful. We've made some good connections with that. And then for me, because I work largely at the university level, and this is really not a giant, it's not a giant field. Everybody kind of knows each other. It's very comfortable for me to be able to reach out to people that I know personally or that I find on Twitter and just say, hey, I have this podcast. Do you want to come talk about something interesting that you're working on? And I'm able to drag some of their audiences along and so it's kind of a kind of just a mashup of these kind of parts of audiences that end up overlapping with what we're trying to do and so it's a constant battle trying to figure out right like trying to assess right does your audience have overlap like would it be beneficial for both of our audiences to be exposed to each other or is it just is it not really going to yield anything so i would say the general community of podcasters that I've built along this road has been very helpful for me. When you're trying to do collaborations with other podcasts, is it like a promo swap or you go on each other's show or how does that work? We are trying and interested in doing promo swaps, but I would say at the moment it's more inviting people on as guests or going on others as guests. And that has been really fun. We've had a lot of really fun guest episodes. The only problem with guest episodes is just they're much more time consuming to plan for us because we generally read something or watch something with our guests and then do this discussion. So it's kind of a lot of planning. Obviously, reading is involved, which is a little bit difficult to pitch to everybody, but usually that's the gist of the show people understand. But yeah, usually it is guesting on each other's podcasts, and that's what we have found to. Be good. We really uh, we don't run ads on our show right now, even promo swaps. We've done some affiliate-based ads, but didn't really find them to be particularly helpful or profitable. And we just kind of felt like it was degrading the quality of the show. And so we're always very conscious about what we're putting on our show that's not the show. 
and trying to right limit those unless we really see some either great value in it or we think it would be valuable for our audience for instance and so right just trying to find a good balance of that we'll go back to monetization in a second but you brought this point up a couple of times so i'm just curious i want to ask since you are in academia do you have to worry about certain academia IP or permissions when you're podcasting about the same thing that you're either teaching or writing about for your thesis? Actually, really, no. I don't, because I work mostly on film, I can bring it in when it's, when it's necessary, but it's not something that I'm really working on on day to day. What we do on the podcast ends up being things that I'm familiar with and have wanted to explore, but don't have time to formally explore which is actually really beneficial for me yeah. because it's just, it just ends up being fun for me. All right. Well, I know a lot of people that podcast somewhat in their industry have to ask permission from their employer, but I have not necessarily explored that same topic with somebody from academia. So that's pretty interesting. So you're not actually taking like lesson plans and then no. throwing them on your show. But if you did, you'd probably have to get permission. I'm thinking. Yeah, the the thing is, though, just we don't really think of it as the sort of lesson plan just because we don't want it to feel like, you know, a lecture right. um, because podcasting is different than the classroom. And I think that that's what can kind of sort of get people interested in our topic, which is something that is thought of as being very dense, very difficult, very hard to approach if you don't know anything about it. And we kind of break it down and do it conversationally. And that makes it, I hope, fun. And I, I know for a fact that it, it at times can be interesting, for sure. And so I, I think that it's a great, for us, it ended up being kind of a great niche to mix with podcasting. Yeah, yeah. The whole tipsy part of your name probably lends itself to possibly drinking while you're discussing. Yeah, usually we discuss with a beer in hand. So it's inherently a much more casual sort of atmosphere. It's not um, an angry professor lecturing you, <laughs> yelling at you uh, for not understanding all of the the names and forgetting who's who, you know all that stuff <laughs> yeah that's actually a pretty good idea like you're just relaxing at the at the bar at the college bar or something like that yeah okay yeah that's the kind of atmosphere that we go for i think somebody in one of our podcast reviews described it as you're listening in on a conversation with some of your friends from college and that's kind of the the general atmosphere that we we strive to maintain okay so i said we go back to monetization you talked about placing ads and not feeling the connection necessarily for your audience or for your topic, but you do monetize. You have a Patreon. Mm -hmm. And then how is that going for you? It's going phenomenally. We're doing over 300 a month on Patreon right now, which is very good, I believe, for a podcast our size. We're able to cover all of our costs. We're able to uh, right now, we're in the middle of a, a little little bit of a rebrand sort of situation that we've got going on. Top, top, top government secret over here. But when we do, you know, the stuff, we're able to pay people, which is wonderful because, you know, you can't be a good member of your artistic community and not pay artists or, you know, try to nickel and dime people. Like, it's important for us that when we use music, and when we are, you know, hiring illustrators to work for us, that they're getting compensated fairly for the time that they're putting in. And so that is a wonderful way uh, to use our money. I think, you know, it's, it sounds like a lot of money probably, but I don't know if we've actually profited on the podcast. We put all of it back into equipment, into art, into, you know, trying new web hosting, you know, buying new software. Like I said, we didn't start this with the intention of making a ton of money off of it. So it is kind of rewarding in its own way to spend the money on making the show better or, you know, sort of artistically separating yourself from um, some of the other podcasts that are around you with your art or right, music or whatever else you kind of choose to do. Yeah, I know another podcaster that's been on the show before, Damien, the DM. He does Aurelia Pod, which is a playthrough podcast, tabletop mm -hmm. playthrough podcast. He throws any and all profits right into the art that helps with the playthrough with not only his players, but then to be able to post that online so people can really understand the characters or the maps of the places that he is playing in. So, yeah, I would echo that from another podcasting perspective that art is 
is really or add-ons to your show are mm-hmm. really an an addition worth worth it basically yeah we also sell merch but we've lost money on every any any merch we've ever done because the art it usually costs a few hundred bucks when we're getting designs done at the least right and so you know we're not making that back on merch but we like having merch because it makes people feel involved in our community and it is really cool the idea that people like what we're doing so much that they want to wear like our logo that's that's really cool and so i'm constantly trying to like tweak our merch and make sure it's it's nice and that we have fresh new designs and that we you know have things in our store that people actually want just one dumb instance of me being dumb was you know forever we were just selling the generic like tipsy tolstoy tea and one day i had this genius idea right our audience is uh 60 women so why are we not selling like a crop top or you know a different cut shirt and now that's our best selling product nice so i make money back on it but you know like it's it, it just a good way to kind of Use the data that you have, understand your community, and you know, give them a product that they actually want and value. Do you have any sort of demographics with your statistics to tell you your percentage of women versus men that listen to your show? Yeah, we are uh, usually had been close to 50-50, skewing slightly more towards women generally. Nice. And we skew a, a little bit younger, like, uh, so like 20 to 35 is the bulk of our demographic. Nice. So... Yeah, it's it, it's important to at least be generally aware of some of those things. You mentioned before that you were in the middle of a rebrand. I, I sense that uh, your website would be central for any rebrand. And you've had experience with websites. You uh, have a website. I've been to it. You also have a website that goes along with your media host, I think. So why don't you let me know what your tips and tricks of making a website are? Yeah, so we're actually doing a huge switch right now to actually try to get away. Right now, I will just probably lay out what we have going on currently and some of the issues that we're trying to address because I think it's interesting. I think I'm probably not the only one podcasting with these issues. But so right now, we are just a kind of generic uh, WordPress website. I've spent a lot of time going through and trying to optimize it, trying to make it fast, mobile, accessible, since most people will view it on mobile. But the problem with WordPress is that WordPress and fast are not really synonyms. So we've kind of had a lot of issues with the kind of bloated WordPress environment. And it is really great and wonderful as a beginner. And there are definitely ways that you can, if you were just looking for a very simple static site, probably one of the easier ways to go and kind of just over time i've been able to tweak and add and do all of these different kind of things with our website but the problem for us is we have also wanted to get a little bit more into blogging just on the side we have a large portion of our audience we just recently ran a a listener survey as part of this rebrand to make sure that we were going in the right direction and a lot of our audience really indicated to us that they wanted more analysis, more kind of in-depth information on what we're covering, which was a little bit of a surprise because I had always thought of us as kind of entertainment and education sort of as e-components. And our audience really indicated like, no, we don't really want to be entertained. We really want to know, um, <laughs> you know, we want some more of this this education stuff that you've you've got stored up in your brain. So. We're trying to focus a little bit more on blogging, trying to just kind of ramp up our, our site speed. And so I've been kind of migrating us over to Ghost, which is an open source content management platform. It is like a, a mix between uh, static websites, Patreon, and Substack. And so it's pretty interesting to say the least. But so we are kind of interested in moving away from patreon because we think we can fulfill what our audience wants better through this software and also we will not have patreon taking their greedy cut uh of each transaction uh which it really kind of really kind of eats at me over time the amount of software transaction fees we pay what is it now like 30 percent or something from patreon it is not that much but it feels like that much sometimes okay (laughs) fair what are some of the, your favorite, well, 
tell you what, uh, just think of your show, think of the three years and Mm -hmm. what's the first thing that pops to your mind on a favorite moment from your show. It doesn't have to be the best, but just one that pops into head as a favorite moment from your show. I would say probably the first time that I was contacted by a publisher and given a free book. I thought, wow, I've really made it. We now deal with them quite regularly. Publishers contact us to place books and authors on our show, which is wonderful. Unfortunately, these are books that don't usually come with advertising budgets, and so we're not able to to scoop up any of that. But hey, free books, and academics love free books. So that is really nice. And we also get to talk with some really interesting people. We got to talk with an author who was just publishing one of her new books, and it was a wonderful interview, and it was really kind of you know you feel special when the publisher is like coordinating with you because normally as a podcaster you're the one that's always doing the coordinating so you know it it felt nice to be the one that was you know being courted for a change it was uh it was probably one of my favorite moments i again really felt like wow someone sees me as being uh legitimate in this field which is always always nice to feel like yeah that's awesome you know as a podcaster about hobby podcasting, I would assume that there would be more hobby podcasters that would approach us about wanting to collaborate on our show, particularly this show. And yeah, that's not necessarily the case. So I haven't made it as big as you have. So congratulations. (laughs) Well, I, it depends. I think when you're for us, right? Like we're the only one in the niche. So as these people are looking for places to advertise their books for free, it is kind of a no brainer, I think. Okay. All they have to do is send us a review copy and we'll devote hours and hours of research to their book. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I know how to keep you busy then. Send you books. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from Patreon, is there anything else about the podcasting infrastructure of the industry itself of podcasting that you'd like to see changed? Mm, that's an interesting one. I feel like because we're kind of indie podcasters, we don't have so much of this sort of this industry, I guess. But I do think there is kind of a drive to kind of place ads as as soon as humanly possible. I know we are hosting on Red Circle now. We used to host on Anchor. And just the sort of way that Anchor allows just a very kind of smaller show to place ads, I think at that level, you would ruin your podcast. I don't think people would listen through the ads. I think it would be annoying. And so I think that it's not in an industry thing per se. It's maybe a personal thing. But I think as a community, we should really think about whether we want ads on our shows or, you know, at, at what level, right? Yeah, we don't want ads on our shows. We have made the decision not to monetize our shows. Maybe eventually with better podcasting, we get, get a Patreon. I've toyed with it for my hobby podcast, The Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. about the Marvel comic universe. But I have not pulled the trigger on any of that. And it's one of the things that I liked about podcasting in the very beginning is I was listening to satellite radio because it had at the time the swath of different channels that you could listen to that you couldn't get through radio. Like radio is is very specific to your locality and there's not really enough of a an audience to sustain very niche stuff. Like if you want to talk about sci-fi or literature or something like that, you're not going to get a station to do that 24 seven on satellite radio. At the time there was, there was sports, all time sports, there was comedy and there was a few other things, but there really wasn't anything that was speaking to me. Then in 2007 started listening to podcasts and I found some things that I, I liked and niches that I liked. And one of the main things that I liked about podcasting back then is there were no ads because if you listen to the radio, there was maybe 35 minutes of every hour that was content and about 25 minutes that was ads. It's, it was really grating to me. And I realized that they have to make money to stay in business, but it was an excessive amount of ads in my opinion. And I just wanted to listen to like a book on tape or whatever. And then I found podcasts and it was basically a book on tape back then, but very specific, intimate conversations with somebody. And like you said, it was like listening into somebody's conversation at a bar in your case and without ads. And I was like, this is it. This is the maximum enjoyment that I'm going to get. And then fast forward the 15 or so years and you're 
seen people like, I have to monetize. I want to make money with my show, either as a side hustle or I want to try to go full time with this. And the way to do that is people do ads. And I'm like, then uh, you're just not the podcast for me. There was one podcast that I listened to, and it's a daily technical podcast. So I'm getting the daily technical news, but it's like a five minute podcast. Some days there were more than five minutes worth of ads <laughs> on this five minute podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is annoying. This is very, very annoying. So I won't listen to it unless I can press the skip button. And um, it's, it's just, I guess, the way things are going. I'm going to be very, very sad the day that the skip button no longer works. I think that's, I, I do think that's coming. I think that, that I, you know, I'm not that old, but I do, in my, in my short time here on this wonderful planet, I feel like I've seen a lot of things that I've liked be ruined by ads. And that's kind of the way that the model is going, not just with podcasting, but with pretty much all entertainment, all media. You know, if a company can't place ads on whatever it is, then they're going to really try to find a way to, you know, restrict you and funnel you into, you know, some way for them to, right, advertise to you. So it's happening with video streaming. Uh, I'm assuming that's what's going on with Reddit. I haven't been following it that close, but I think that's what the, uh, a bit of it it has to do with and yeah so i don't want to be one of these things that somebody thinks ah i used to love tipsy tolstoy and then they ruined it with ads because i would i would feel really bad about that so do you go to movies at all in person uh yeah every now and then yeah so i just went to a couple movies in theater i saw across the spider verse and i saw guardians of the galaxy in each case there were more than 30 minutes worth of ads from the time that the showtime was supposed to start that they advertised yes. start to what the time the movie was was like a half an hour and if you're used to this you can just come late especially if you have seats right the preseason you don't have to worry about finding seats so you can come late sometimes you want to see some of the trailers that they show out but it's more than trailers it's like it's yeah. just a constant advertising barrage for you even before the start time for 30 45 minutes or whatever that gets annoying to me after a while. So and, I did have a, a good yeah. a good advertising related experience when I went to see the new Spider-Man, which was that in the theater we were at, the screen, they were having some sort of technical issue. Okay. So it started about the normal lateness, but it was because they were trying to fix the screen. So there was nothing playing on screen. It was just black. And it was great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you said you were doing a rebrand. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking for any inside information. Usually I ask about what future plans are. If you want to talk about the rebrand, great. If if not, no problem. But is there anything that you would like to state about the future plans for your show? It's going to be very different, but very much the same. The core of the show is going to be pretty much the same. It's more of a, an aesthetic rebrand, <laughs> I guess. So you're still talking about uh, three shows a month or whatever it is? That yeah, that's what we kind of found for us is where we are going to be staying is about three shows per month. I would love to be a weekly podcast, but for us, really, it's it's a lot of reading and it's a lot of research. And we're looking at doing kind of more research because our, our show at the moment is split about 50-50 summary and discussion. And our audience has kind of indicated what we were feeling like, which is that Ah, you can find a summary online. You don't need us to summarize it for you. Uh, we really want to be focused on, um, you know, explaining why this is important and you know, impactful and meaningful. And that's kind of what we see as the main value of our podcast. And so we're trying to focus in on that and kind of hone that aspect of our show and just kind of make it the best that it can be. And the aesthetic rebrand is just so people can more easily find us and uh, so that, you know, our website is more functional, just all these kind of things that we were feeling like, you know, it's time for a little bit of a shakeup. All right. So we had some comments in our chat in the in live stream here. Do you want to go over some of the questions that people asked? Sure. Okay. The first one is actually my co-host from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast or one of the three co-hosts, Chris. He asked, what would you recommend reading for somebody who wants to learn Russian? You know, this one is my, my kind of controversial one, but I always think actually that Tolstoy is in a lot of ways not that difficult because his chapters are very short. And so you can get like a lot of three-page chapters in these giant novels. Besides the kind of 19th century vocab that you're going to get, in general, I would say it's, it's not too bad. That or Chekhov. 
So I've been told it's pretty easy for beginners. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I remember reading my French literature, and while it did help a little bit in my learning French, actually going to France, really, I mean, that, that's how you do it. Just go wherever you want to learn the language and immerse yourself for a week or so. Yeah, I was, yeah, I, that was the most helpful for my Russian, but not everybody, um, you know, at the moment, it's not exactly the easiest place to go. No, it's not. I wanted to stay away from that. But pre-pandemic, pre-war, you did spend a lot of time in Russia, and yes. I assume that helped your lush Russian language. It did. Okay. A Liberty Dude in the chat said, did you find staying active on social media, creating an active community, helped build the desired word of mouth of growth, or just help the podcaster keep motivated to keep pushing on? A little bit of both, I would say. It kind of... I think that we found some really good like a core group of people on each of our social media platforms that have kind of helped us propel our growth. But then whether that is working in terms of word of mouth, you may never know because you can't track word of mouth, which is why I said it's the most frustrating way to spread. But I do think it is the most uh, not efficient, but it's it's the best. It's the strongest, I would say. That being said, I do find these social media interactions do keep me kind of going. Social media, plus I would say Discord. We get a lot of good insights or comments in our Discord that are pretty fun. So, Do you play outside your show's Discord server, or do you just kind of focus on your singular Discord server for your show? We're mostly just focused on the one for the show. But inside our Discord, it's, kind of, it's not all Russian lit. It's kind of just general shenanigans. We do, you know, kind of community events. And we have, like I said, we have a lot of people that have been around for like year, multiple years at this point. So <laughs> it's good to see. Good to see indeed. And also, Chris, my co-host from Legends of Shoot, say, hi, background dog. I saw you back there being super cute. Please come back. So I think your dog read this comment because yes. he came back and is in the chair behind you. Yeah, that's Alfie. He, uh, he heard a noise outside when I was talking about advertising and uh, almost lost his mind. But now uh, he safely returned to his spot. <laughs> Which is, you know, why my pillows on my chairs don't look like normal pillows. This one does. This one is an uh, Alfie spot, which is why it is uh, in dog bed mode. <laughs> oh, I see. Dog bed. So I also have a dog. Actually, it's my daughter's dog. And it's a 100-pound golden retriever. We actually got these pet covers for our furniture in the great room there where mm -hmm. the dog can sit on. And I actually got multiple ones so that every week we take it off and we launder it and we put the new one on kind of like sheets on a bed sort of thing and it's worked great so it saved our furniture yeah we um we spent a lot of money getting a so we have a big green couch in our living room very comfortable dog liked it so we got a smaller version of it that we found uh just on like chewy or wherever and it is very comfortable because he likes that rounded back that he can kind of curl up into and so we spent a lot of money getting him that offer him to not want to leave the couch next to us <laughs> <laughs> there you go all right it has been a pleasure talking to you this time and i, I really appreciate you coming on so thank you very much yeah thank you for having me. this was a blast and if people want to hear your tipsy tolstoy musings where can they find you tipsytolstoy.com our website's got everything that you need it's got all my links it's got the show's links tipsytolstoy.com all right. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for spending your time with Matt and myself over the past hour. If you'd like to connect with content like this, please subscribe to the Better Podcasting YouTube channel and like the video, ring that bell. Or if you are listening to the audio version, give Better Podcasting Chats with SP a follow on your podcatcher app of choice. Stephen and I would greatly appreciate it. Season three of the main Better Podcasting show concluded a couple of weeks ago, and season three of Better Podcasting live chat is now underway, discussing all about your hobby podcast audience and your general topics as well. Check both those shows out at betterpodcasting.com. My next show here, Better Podcasting Chats with SP, is scheduled to stream live on July 18th. However, if you'd like to join me before that or after that, Drop me a line on social media or my email is stargatepioneer at betterpodcasting.com. We'll look at a date to have you on the show. I'll send you a schedule link from Calendly. 
In the meantime, you can join the podcasting conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both Stephen and myself there every day. And if you are a geeky-related podcast, you can consider becoming part of the Gunna Geek Network. You can apply at gunnageek.com slash joy. We'll see everybody next time.